Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. Listen, this pandemic? I don't really have anything insightful or funny or much of, you know, anything at all to add, except for... (sighs) It's a small, small, small comfort, but at least we have a couple interesting books (laughs) to keep us company. In a bit, we'll hear a nice bit of poetry from a couple of friends who have really bonded these past few years. But first, I wanted to play for you this interview from back in April 2020, you know, the baby days of the pandemic. It's with author Lawrence Wright about his book, The End of October, which is about a pandemic. And just to be clear, he wrote this book between 2017 and 2019, before, you know, all of this. And NPR's Mary Louise Kelly asks him, how did he predict everything going to hell in a handbasket? Let's talk now about a new novel that opens even before the title page, before chapter one, opens with a note. Dear reader, it begins, the events depicted in the end of October were meant to serve as a cautionary tale, but real life doesn't always wait for warnings. The author who wrote that is Pulitzer Prize winner Lawrence Wright. His novel is about a virus. It starts in Asia, sweeps across continents, cripples the healthcare system, wrecks the economy, and kills scores of people worldwide. The book is The End of October, and Lawrence Wright joins me now. Hey there. Thank you. It's good to talk to you again, Mary Louise. You too. I will underscore this is fiction. You have written a fictional story about a fictional virus called Congoli. But but when you wrote that note to the reader that you pray these events never come to pass, you must have been imagining a moment where they could. Well, I I knew uh, from talking to all these medical experts uh, that something like this was going to happen. They all knew it. They just didn't know when. Mm. When did you start and finish writing this? Oh, I think I started it in 2017, and I turned in the final draft July, I think, midsummer of 2019. So before anyone anywhere had ever heard of COVID-19 or, or the coronavirus crisis that we're all living through. Right. To give people a sense of just how closely your fiction tracks what we are all living through in real life right now. I will note a a couple of things that that I was highlighting and writing exclamation points next to as I read. Page 29, the word coronavirus appears. Page 107, hospitals are overwhelmed. People are stockpiling. Store shelves are empty. By page 45, they are running out of ventilators. By page 174, the stock market has cratered. It is spooky, I will say, as a reader to read a novel about a terrifying pandemic while while living through a terrifying pandemic. What's it been like for you to to witness this fictional work you created become fact? It's it's creepy. It's weird. You know, in some ways, I you know, I'm I'm keeping score for myself. You know, what did I get right and what did I get wrong? Yeah, I'm sure. On the other hand, I'm pretty sick of the coincidences. Uh, and and I, I I hope it doesn't turn out as badly as I forecast, but you know this was it was meant to be a kind of warning cry, and yet you know this pandemic happened before the book actually hit the shelves, and so uh, it, the timing is is very it's it's hard to explain. I mean, publication of the book, the timing of that is a total coincidence. But the parallels with what's happening in real life, that's not coincidental. I've researched it very carefully, and I talked to people who knew 
what was going to happen. They, they laid it out for me. Uh, many of the people that are fighting this virus on the front lines right now. And so the fact that it's unfolding as they suggested it would and as I reflected in the novel is no surprise at all. I mentioned you won the Pulitzer. That was for uh, an earlier book about Al-Qaeda. Uh, I mentioned that j- to make the point that you are not an infectious disease specialist. You're, you're a journalist and reporter. And yet you were able to learn enough about a potential threat to write a novel that, that has predicted much of what we are living through. Is the very existence of your novel an indictment? Well, I guess the difference is, let me put it this way. I made use of some of our nation's best minds. Most of them work for the government in one way or another, you know, in in many of our precious laboratories. And I also read these tabletop exercises that were done almost every year at Johns Hopkins and elsewhere, oftentimes using similar or the same people that I talked to laying out scenarios that are very similar to the one that I depict in the novel and the one that we're the real life event that we're experiencing the only difference between me and people in the administration is that I listen to these experts and the novel reflects the anxiety that they express to me huh. On the one hand you couldn't have invented a better news cycle in which to drop a novel about a killer virus sweeping the world. On the other hand, any part of you a little worried readers might say, you know what, this is this is the last thing I need to read about right now. I, I, need, I need fiction to escape the, the moment that we are all living through. Oh, of course I worry about that. I, you know, I, I, I worry about people being frightened by what happens in the novel and worrying that, uh, that it'll come true in real life. On the other hand, some of my early readers say that they are consoled by it because they understand the actions of a virus and what it takes to fight it. And also, I think the, I, I think and hope that my admiration for the kind of people that are involved in this field of public health comes through. You know that people appreciate the sacrifice, but also the ingenuity of people in that field. Any plot twist you wish you had thought of? Now that this is playing out in the real world. <laughs> Anything we thought, oh, you know, I could have written I, that into Chapter 7. I had no idea. Okay, well, it, you know, there, I guess that there are um, sort of variations on a theme. I, I Instead of a cruise ship or an aircraft carrier, I have an outbreak on a submarine. And there are things that I, I give myself credit for, like having the vice president be in charge of the, of the that response. That also, and, I had a big and, exclamation point next to that one, <laughs> that he's in charge of the task force. Yeah. The thing that I underestimated was the solidarity of ordinary people to isolate themselves, sometimes against their own government's recommendations, and at great personal costs, financial and social and in many ways. And, uh, and that has succeeded in many respects in keeping the death toll down, I think. Dare I ask the subject of your next novel? And dare oh, I ask I've you to give getting... us some advance warning next time? <laughs> I've been getting many suggestions. Of, you know, why don't you write about uh, the end of climate change or a woman president or something? You know, people <laughs> <laughs> people believe that I have these powers to uh, you know to put things into play in the real world. Where all I'm doing is examining the world that we live in and 
extrapolating where it might go. And so the kind of geopolitical clashes that are depicted in the novel are just taking events and, and, and rivalries that we're experiencing right now and imagining under stress, the stress of a pandemic, how might that change? And, uh, you know, as I said, I hope these things don't come to pass, but, you know, you see these, the blame that is thrown and the accusations about somebody cooked us up in a laboratory. And, you know, these are all very dangerous allegations and they'll have consequences. Hmm. Lawrence Wright, thank you very much. Well, it was my pleasure, Mary Louise. That is the journalist and author, Lawrence Wright. His new novel is The End of October. Sometimes weeks go by until I can muster the energy to reach out to the boys on the group chat and write a sentence so beautiful, so thought-provoking, like, yo, the first Matrix movie still whips. <laughs> Somehow two friends, Marilyn Hacker and Karthika Nair, managed to write a whole book of poetry together over the course of the pandemic, touching on isolation and loneliness, yeah, but using a form that's all about connection. We have a story of two friends who made it through the pandemic so far. Marilyn Hacker and Karthika Nair live in Paris, and they're both poets who spent their time in isolation writing a book together. They wrote almost every day for a year in the form of a renga. A renga is a Japanese form of syllabic poetry. The second poet picks up a word in the last line of the preceding taka and starts with a line that includes that word. Hacker picked this collaborative form to connect to someone she had something in common with. Nair had just been diagnosed with a tumor, and Hacker could relate. I had gone through chemotherapy myself some years ago, so it was not an experience that was entirely strange to me. I think I was very apprehensive of my brain shutting down as well because chemo was very heavy on me. And the possibility of maintaining a creative collaboration was just so precious. Nair says working together strengthened their friendship. Even though we met perhaps three times across the 367 days of the Ranga, we were so present in each other's mind homes. And here they read an excerpt. Claire, critical care intern, size for one, after 20 hours on breathless feet. Evening applause is sweet, but she chose PPE over the president's praise and eggs on grocery shelves. Shelves in the Jevet are still filled with coffee, cheese, brown eggs, gariguette, Greek yogurt, milk, wine. But I hurry, forget tomatoes, get out of harm's way, masked, gloved, as fast as I can. And that's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. If you want more, you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter slash books. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. The podcast is produced by Kelly Wessinger and edited by Megan Sullivan and Taylor Burney. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show Elements for this week were produced and edited by Eliza Dennis, Tinbeat Ermias, Phil Harrell, Rena Advani, Melissa Gray, Samantha Balaban, Jolie Myers, Becky Sullivan, and Jivika Verma. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening.